Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Thursday. We're almost to the weekend, Labor Day weekend for a lot of people, an extended holiday break for people that are at work right now. But before we even get to all that, we still have a few days to go. And a lot that I want to talk about today on the podcast, I want to talk about the John Boyega GQ article that came out in which he talked about Star Wars and his experience on it. And I think it brings up a lot of interesting conversations in the times that we live in right now. I'll discuss that a little later on. Julianne Moore is casted in the Dear Evan Hansen movie. So a really stacked cast is coming in for that. And I want to talk about that a little later on and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to dive right into is the second trailer that premiered for No Time to Die. And it is also really the first trailer since COVID-19 really kind of shut down everything in the pandemic and kind of restarts this campaign for what will be Daniel Craig's final turn as 007 himself. And it, it is the first trailer since the first one premiered on December 10th of 2019. And is the first bit of marketing material that we've gotten since the Super Bowl when Universal put out that 30 second spot during the big game. And we've heard a lot about No Time to Die. And one of the, the big things that came out before it all shut down was it really was the first film to kind of indicate and kind of lead way of predicting what was going to happen and what has happened of everything really shutting down, theaters having a shutdown and that it delayed its release to November 20th of this year. And then what followed where every other blockbuster was pushed back to later in 2020 or all the way to 2021 and into the future. And a lot of people have been wondering, and myself included, of are these films actually going to make way in November, December? And we're still ways away from really determining that. And like I was saying yesterday and days and weeks prior that these next couple of weeks are going to be very paramount in terms of Tenet, in terms of what what's really going to happen with Tenet and maybe what happens with Wonder Woman 1984 moving forward of determining of if the November, December releases actually keep their slots. And just kind of seeing this No Time to Die trailer, it's just nice, again, a little bit of fresh air to just get some new material out there and to talk about something in in a environment that is kind of dry with a lot of material, which is why on August 22nd, when DC Fandom came out, it was nice to get just such a great amount of juicy material to look forward to future projects down the line, new trailers to look forward to. And during the summer, we really haven't gotten that. So to get this to start out September and something to look forward to, whether it does happen or doesn't happen, I think just gets people excited. And I think before the pandemic really kind of altered what 2020 was going to look like in a vast majority of businesses and outlooks in the world today, it was one of the most anticipated movies of the year. It was certainly in my top five of the year. I love what Daniel Craig has done with the franchise. I really enjoyed that first trailer that came out. It seems like it's going to really kind of tug on the emotional heartstrings that we got in films like Skyfall and Casino Royale. And what has really kind of been a roller coaster and up and down, if you will, for Daniel Craig's time as James Bond, the trailers have indicated that he's probably going to go out on a high note. It looks like I love what Kerry Fukunaga, the director, has really done with the, the film, it seems like. He's the first American director to ever helm a James Bond film, so that's pretty exciting to kind of get another take on, on another another country's take, another person's take on the James Bond franchise. And one of the things that I think is really kind of appealing to this film is that from the marketing material that 
that has come beforehand, even before the pandemic happened, the, the, the colors in a lot of this was very vibrant. Even the posters, a lot of bright colors are really standing out alongside Daniel Craig in these posters. And one of the things that really caught my eye with this is that visually everything looks gorgeous. I mean, it kind of reminds me of not on the same level of what Deacons did in Skyfall, but it reminds me of that kind of gorgeous visuals that we got in that film. And one of the beginning scenes that we get in the trailer of, it seems like these agents kind of dropping down on this window and you get this really nice kind of vignette look out in the sky. It just looks really, really cool. And we get a lot of those kind of looks in this film. And one of the other things I thought was interesting was kind of the the, the comedic looks that we got in this film and that it seems like it's going to have some levity to it. And I think Ana de Armas' character kind of seems like somebody who is fresh in the field uh, in the CIA and it's one of her first assignments. And it, I, it, it just kind of looked like there's a little bit more a pep and, and upbeatness to this movie. Daniel Craig looks like he has some good comedic bits, bits excuse me, like James Bond has had in kind of the Sean Connery, Roger Moore, but at the same time kind of keeping what has made Daniel Craig such a great James Bond of that vulnerability, but also kind of that stoicness and being kind of a gritty, more realistic James Bond like he first did in Casino Royale. And you got the action, you got the intensity, and to get other looks along with Ana, to get more looks at the villain, Savin, and with Rami Malek, who, when you look at his layer and you look at kind of his clothes and his style, his facial appearances where he's got all those scars, there have been rumors that maybe he, he could be taking over that Dr. No Mantle and that Savin could really just be a code name and his real name could be Dr. No, kind of like what happened in Spectre where we all had an idea that Christoph Waltz was probably playing Ernst Stravel Blofeld, but it wasn't indicated until you actually went to go see the movie that that was really truly who he was playing. So that might be the same case here where you see kind of the lavish layer that Rami Malek has, which is a staple for a James Bond movie. It just reminds me of what we got in that first James Bond film in 1962 with Dr. No. So whether that's true or not, I'm not really sure, but it definitely has some Easter eggs and harkens back to some of that style that we got in the first film. And it just looks like a like a really fun time. And again, to kind of get this marketing material, this marketing revamped again, the poster came out a few days before the trailer. It's just kind of Daniel Craig posing as James Bond. And again, it, it just has a, a vibrantness to it, just a, a, a lightness to it that I didn't really get to see in Spectre or really Casino Royale, which is one of the the best James Bond films to come out. And it just looks like a fun time. And I think it's going to put Daniel Craig out on, on a really high note. I'm excited for this cast and also to, to hear the song. And I think one of the last bits of marketing material that did come out was the Billie Eilish song, No Time to Die, which I'm excited to see how that plays into it. And she's already kind of having a, an outstanding year, year and a half, really. And this is just going to keep on adding to it. Hans Zimmer's coming in to do the score. So th there's a lot to look forward to with this. And again, I I hope it keeps its November 20th release date. The, again, these next few weeks with Tenet are really going to determine what happens with that. But all seems to be really moving ahead with this movie. And a, a lot of trailers with COVID studios not really having an idea of what they're going to do with their movies. And they're kind of only saying only in theaters. Tenet did it earlier on when they're still trying to figure out where they were going to really fit in. Even Wonder Woman did it at DC Fandom, where in the panel, in the, in the trailer, 
Patty Jenkins just says, we're excited to bring this to the theaters. We want people to see it theatrically. It's made for the big screen, but they didn't give the actual date yet. So again, it's just a lot of wait and see, and then they'll make the decision probably in the next few weeks. But No Time to Die at the end of its title card put in coming to theaters in November, solidifying at least that as of right now, it is still coming out towards the end of the year. So a lot to look forward to with this. I think it gets people excited for this. It gets people to remember that there is a James Bond film coming, especially when Universal has to kind of do another marketing campaign when they were really at the height of theirs before everything shut down in March. It was about a month away before it got delayed. So this is kind of their 2.0 version of what they're doing. And whether they spend a lot more money on this campaign or not, that remains to be seen. But I think it gets a lot of people excited and something to look forward to towards the end of 2020. What did you guys think about the James Bond trailer? I'm going to put that as a Twitter poll question for you guys today. Did you enjoy it? Did you think it was okay? Did you not? Did it not level and heighten your anticipation for this movie? Let me know in that Twitter poll and leave your thoughts. And then moving on now to some other bit of movie news that came out. And to get into some casting news in these next two stories, the first one that I want to talk about is one that it's kind of it's it's kind of a, a lighthearted story in a way, in which the new Paul Thomas Anderson film is currently shooting as of right now with all the COVID safety regulations that they need to be put in play. And for a lot of cinephiles, if you think about prestigious great films, Paul Thomas Anderson is one of those people that you think of right away from Boogie Nights to The Master Till to There Will Be Blood and Phantom Threat. He is somebody that has put on a fantastic filmography, even though it's it's a short one. Every single film that he has come out with usually is one that you look forward to. If you're like me and you're an Oscar pundit, look at uh, Oscar season. Paul Thomas Anderson films are usually on the top of the list to look out for every single time you see a film of his is coming out during whatever specific year that they are coming out. And this is one that seems to be on that list as well. And we heard that this is going to be a coming of age story set to involve multiple storylines within in 1917 San Bernardino Valley. And it's going to be more of an ensemble. And we heard rumors that Bradley Cooper was going to be involved. And we officially got confirmation that he is going to be a part of this ensemble. He's not going to be the the main lead character, but one of the supporting ones, along with singer-songwriter Alana Haim, is going to be a part of this as well. But people were wondering who's going to be that the, the, the child in this, who's going to be somebody that can take this film forward and lead it. And it's somebody who Paul Thomas Anderson has connections to, and that is the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman will be making his acting debut in this new movie. Movie, which doesn't have a title yet, but Cooper Hoffman will be leading this ensemble. And it's kind of, it's carrying on a legacy because for Paul Thomas Anderson, a frequent collaborator of his was Philip Seymour Hoffman from The Master to a film like Boogie Nights. They have worked on a majority of his films together. So to kind of carry that on, I think is is incredible. And that there's anybody who can really kind of tap in to Cooper Hoffman's acting. And again, this is his acting debut. So if this is something that he's really aspiring to do, who better to take him along the way than somebody who has worked with great actors like Paul Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis, Mark Wahlberg, his father, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and really kind of show him the ropes of what his father would do and really to act in this kind of environment. So I think it's a, it's, it's a really cool kind of carrying the mantle, carrying the torch and seeing where this goes. And 
this film isn't coming out this year. It sounds like it's going to be geared more towards 2021 and the 2021 Oscar season, 2022. So this is definitely one to keep your eyes out for, especially, again, if you're a fan of his, if you're a cinephile fan, a fan of film, Paul Thomas Anderson films are always ones to look forward to. And he hasn't really made one uh, since, I think, it really was 2017, 2018, when he directed what would become Daniel Day-Lewis's final film in Phantom Thread, which he got an Academy Award nomination for, for Best Acting. But it, this sounds really interesting. We don't really, again, know a whole lot about the plot. There's no title for it yet. But I'm sure by the end of this year into next year, we'll have a lot more details for it as it is filming right now with the new COVID regulations in effect. What do you guys think about Cooper Hoffman coming in and taking over the role of this new Paul Thomas Anderson film, carrying over the mantle of working with this director when his father did, Philip Seymour Hoffman? Let me know and leave your thoughts. And then the final bit of casting news that I found really interesting is that Julianne Moore is set to be in the new or the adaptation rather of the musical Dear Evan Hansen, in which she will be playing the mother of Evan Hansen, who will be played once again by Ben Platt, who won the Tony for Best Actor in a Musical for playing that original role in the Broadway musical. And it's not so much that Julianne Moore is a part of this, which is a huge get, but really when I see that addition, it makes me look at this whole cast and kind of what is coming together for this film. And I think one of the great things about talking about this industry, talking about casting news, is when you hear a project first come together and you hear the ideas and, and kind of the production team director behind it, that can really kind of percolate a little bit and perk your eyes and say, this sounds interesting. But when you hear the cast announced and you see kind of what's formulating all together, then that gets you really excited. And to me, this is one of the latest examples of that, where you have Ben Platt coming back. You have Caitlin Dever playing one of, or the romantic interest of Evan Hansen, who was in Booksmart, who was in Unbelievable. And she is a true up and coming star in the industry. You have Amanda Steinberg, excuse me, who had a breakthrough role in The Hate You Give. She was also a part of the Hunger Games franchise, specifically the first one playing the character Rue. And then you have Amy Adams playing, I think, Caitlin Dever's mom, who is a main central figure of the story. And then you add in Julianne Moore. It's a great formulation of a cast that you have behind you. And then, of course, you add in the the songwriters who wrote the songs for the play, for the musical, but they also have credibility in front of cinema before and, and doing movies from La La Land to The Greatest Showman. And so they have an idea of what can bring people to this film. And so this is, I think, going to be a, a very anticipated movie for, for whenever it comes out. It doesn't have a specific release year, as far as I know, or release date. But if it is one that maybe debuts in the summer or even in the winter, time, kind of like what Greatest Showman did in 2017, this one could really have a really big impact at the box office and be a film that people are very interested in seeing. I know I'm a fan of the music of Dear Evan Hansen. I haven't seen the musical itself, but seeing the performance on the Tony stage that Ben Platt put on, and that was kind of his breakthrough role that really kind of lended him to doing a lot more stuff in TV and movies. And again, seeing somebody like Caitlin Dever, who I've never heard her sing before, but 
I she's already a tremendous actress in the stuff that she has been in, so I have no doubt she's going to do a really good job. And it, it, this cast isn't done yet filling out, and this is only the beginning pieces of what we've gotten, but it's a really good starting off point. And again, it just, when you put everything together in front of the camera, behind the camera, this could turn out to be something that maybe could be a great film, but it reminds me of what happened with The Greatest Showman a little bit. And I think it could be a better film than Greatest Showman. Greatest Showman had some really good aspects to it, but in something that people can enjoy, whether it's in the summertime or like the success of Showman in, in the holidays, it could have staying box office power that has a great soundtrack that people can be involved in with new voices involved, have uh, stars, rising stars that attract a younger demographic to go and see and want to witness this film on the on the big screen. And most musicals for a good portion do well at the box office. And Cats has been a recent example of, of really kind of crapping the bed in that case. But again, Greatest Showman, Lay Miz, they remind me of films that can do really well in that lane. And then of course you get something like In the Heights where I have repeatedly said that that is a summer film fit for the June slate that it had, and I'm happy that Warner Brothers put it for 2021 in the summertime. I think that is going to be a big hit for them as well. So musicals are, if you do the right one and you get people appealed for it, they could come out for it. And I think this is one that is setting up to be exactly that. So what do you guys think about the cast for Dear Evan Hansen with Julianne Moore being a part of it with Ben Platt? Caitlin Denver, Amanda Steinberg, Julianne Moore, like I said, and Amy Adams. Are you excited about this cast? Are you excited about who's behind the camera, who the songwriters are? Let me know and leave your thoughts below. And now I want to move on to one of the main stories that I want to talk about set in a galaxy far, far away, but in a more serious light of John Boyega, who spoke out to GQ British yesterday in a cover story they did, which I highly recommend checking out the whole Oracle and not just the tidbits about Star Wars that Boyega talks about, but a good portion of it is talked about his experience shooting the Star Wars trilogy for when he played Finn from The Force Awakens to The Rise of Sky Walker and it's when you look at the sequel trilogy I think there's going to be a lot of stuff taken from there of what to do for a trilogy like that of a high profile franchise and what not to do in the future and I think one of the, the, the serious aspects that Boyega talks about, I think, is one that Disney and he wants Disney to do to take forward in the future. And in times where really when we're in, in, an, in an era of social injustice, a lot more people are speaking out about their experiences and, and what they want to have happen in Hollywood of being more inclusive and making sure that they feel less comfortable and being able to express themselves. You've heard it through a lot of people that work not just as actors, but as hairstylists and as wardrobe assistants and being able to kind of express themselves in different ways. And in this GQ article, John Boyega talks about how he, he thought it was an honor to play Finn, but most of the time he throughout his experience, he really kind of had a tough time enjoying it from 2015 all the way to the end of 2019. And he talks about how it's not just the 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 
the inclusion, but also kind of the, the marketability and kind of sidelining a lot of inclusive characters, people of color and different ethnicities that were touted as potentially having big roles in the Star Wars sequel trilogy, but were kind of pushed to the sidelines. And he talks about how in the Force Awakens marketing, that when we saw that marketing material, the big draw to it was the fact that John Boyega was a one of the, the first that we know of main character that was a person of color that was a stormtrooper, and also the first person of color to wield a lightsaber, let alone Luke's lightsaber. And it seemed from the marketing material that he was going to be the the main Jedi, the main character that we were going to follow. However, because of the 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 secrets that JJ likes to keep on his set so as to not spoil anything, it was kind of a little bit of a of a marketing ploy of kind of of diverting attention away from Daisy Ridley when in the film we discover that she's really the main protagonist that we're going to be following that is the Jedi who has the force abilities within her and John Boyega talks about that with Disney where that maybe that they shouldn't really kind of hijack that and say you know what you featured me and you featured people of prominence of color and of ethnicity and then in the end you really kind of sideline them and he talks about that and talks about kind of the the roles that he was able to play and and the ones of Kelly Marie Tran, Naomi Aki, and this is really what he had to say, in which he says, it's so difficult to maneuver. You get yourself involved in projects and you're not necessarily going to like everything. But what I would say to Disney to do is to not bring out a black character, market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are, and then have them pushed to the side. It's not good, I'll say it straight up. Like you guys knew what to do with Daisy Ridley, you knew what to do with Adam Driver, you knew what to do with these other people, but when it came to Kelly Marie Tran, when it came to John Boyega, you know, F all. So what do you want me to say? What do they want me to say is, I enjoyed being a part of it, it was a great experience, nah, 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 nah. I'll take that deal when it's a great experience. They gave all the nuance to Adam Driver, all the nuance to Daisy Ridley. Let's be honest, Daisy knows this, Adam knows this, everybody knows, I'm not exposing anything. And when you read those quotes, at first you can you can sense it and you can think well he's just he's just kind of saying this as an actor who didn't really get the time and he's just looking out for himself and you could say that but at the same time you got to look at the meanings behind what he is saying and kind of look back and take into consideration his experience and i think what we're all going through really as a country right now is we got to step out of our own shoes people that are privileged and look at people who might have these experiences but they don't really live up to those expectations and they're kind of sidelined to that extent. And when you look at the timeline of what happened with Boyega in between Force Awakens all the way to the very end of this, it lines up for what he really does say. And he talks about how really from, I think for me, when when you watch John Boyega's interviews from The Last Jedi on, he really kind of starts to distance himself away from Star Wars and from just being a part of this franchise. Because if you look at The Force Awakens and from 2015 to like 2016, he is the biggest fan of Star Wars from that entire cast. I remember watching Instagram videos of his, Twitter videos where he would be playing the Battlefront games. He did, I remember him, he did a trailer reaction of his own movie with The Force Awakens. Like he was so enthusiastic and who wouldn't be being a part of Star Wars? But then you go really into the, to what happened with his role as Finn 
And really, when you look at the sequel trilogy as a whole, the biggest meat that we get from John Boyega really is in The Force Awakens, where he's somebody as a stormtrooper that decides, I don't want to be a part of the bad fight. I want to just look out for myself. I want to get away from all this. I need to do the right thing. And then by the end of The Force Awakens, at least, he seems to be fighting for the force of the resistance, at least. And then, of course, you get the whole thing again, like I said, with the marketing of of the of John Boyega holding the lightsaber, but it really became a distraction and really kind of 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 shielding away from the fact that Daisy Ridley is the main protagonist of this new trilogy that we got with Star Wars. And then you get to The Last Jedi, and I'm a big fan of The Last Jedi, and I know there's a lot of controversy behind that movie, and I think for days on end and for years to years to come, at least in the Star Wars fandom, there will be a lot of controversy behind that movie. And I think when you look at the point where everything kind of splintered off and everything kind of started falling off the rails for this trilogy, it started with The Last Jedi. And again, I'm a fan of that film. I loved what Ryan Johnson did. But one of the things that I thought was a big negative was the journey that Finn's character took with, or what Ryan did with Finn's journey of uh, of his character in that movie. Because I always felt like it was basically a retread of what happened in The Force Awakens. And also, he just wasn't a main proponent of the storyline. And he wasn't a main proponent of what was really going on with Daisy Ridley and, and Adam Driver's character. Of They were the main nucleus of this trilogy, as we found out, by the eighth movie. And Boyega was just really kind of used as a sideline character that given moment in time. And same thing with Kelly Marie Tran, where... I think with what Ryan Johnson wanted to do where is maybe try to test this character out, see what she can do. And maybe it worked for some people, maybe that it didn't. But then at the point of the rise of Skywalker, because the fans are so critical of her character, I don't, I don't know if I give this to JJ or not, or JJ just said, I don't know what to do with her. Let's just sideline her. And I'm not saying that he did it because she's someone of, of Southeast Asian descent and I want to move her away. I'm sure that's not what, what JJ Abrams wanted to do, but he just didn't know what to do with that character. Character, so he sidelined her and everything that we knew of this character and the love interest that she was going to be for Finn was uh, for not in The Rise of Skywalker really and I think the same thing could be said about Naomi Aki's character as well where she just was a stormtrooper in The Rise of Skywalker she didn't really have a meaty role to do and Boyega also talks about with Oscar Isaac where I do think that he had a lot more to do in The Last Jedi and even a little bit more in The Rise of Skywalker but it really was about Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver and, and again I don't think John Boyega is looking to be negative towards them, and I don't think he's has any animosity towards them. He's just really laying out what he experienced and what he saw happen, where it was really this facade that the sequel trilogy was trying to showcase with this inclusion when it really wasn't that. And I can see where he's coming from. And again, I'm somebody who is white and privileged, and, and I don't... And, it, you know, I don't experience what John Boyega and, and people of color experience. But again, in the times that we live in right now, you have to kind of take off those glasses, take off those shades and try to put yourself in those shoes of what they were experiencing. And when I was reading this article, when I was reading these quotes, I did that, which is why I didn't want to talk about it yesterday. I wanted to think about it and and read these quotes like I was John Boyega and being in that mindset. And if you know from what he did at the Black Lives Matter rally in London 
earlier this year and just the passion that he shows and things that he cares about at a point for Star Wars he just it just didn't really come for him in that way and he does defend J.J. Abrams where he says like look he wasn't even supposed to be there for the ninth episode and he came in and he saved the whole thing for you guys so he's coming to J.J.'s defense I really do think that it all came spiraling out by The Last Jedi where everything really kind of just took off in the wrong direction for this fandom for this franchise with The Last Jedi. And then again, it was a good movie, but there were things about it that I think turned off the cast. And I think it turned off what happened with the the fans as well. And I think John Boyega, because you don't really hear him talk bad about episode nine. And really the only thing he talks bad about with episode seven is he loved the experience, but the press tour he even mentions of not being able to wanting to grow out his hair, but the hairstylist wouldn't want that and wanting to wear what he wanted to wear. And the, the dressers didn't allow that and wanted him to just kind of be polished and, 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 you know, be a part of the team really. And he didn't want that. And again, the marketing ploy that was used again, I think that was more of JJ kind of wanting to, to secretly not reveal what Daisy Ridley's role was going to be. But unfortunately they just gave that to John Boyega where they could have made him force sensitive from the beginning, but they decided to do that in the rise of Skywalker where, okay, well, where are we going to go from this? There, there's nowhere else to go if we're wrapping up this story that should have been something that was involved in episode seven involved in episode eight and developed and then finished off in episode nine and i've heard many people talk about it and i'm one of those people as well where all this i think is a victim of not planning out a trilogy from beginning to end and you see that disconnectedness from episode seven to episode eight all the way back to episode nine and it's just it, it just doesn't work. As individual films, I think episode seven, episode eight work well with, but as a connective whole, they are very disjointed together. And I think you just, there was no clear plan for what was going to happen with these franchises, with this trilogy. And also in the fact that the fandom was very toxic. And Boyega also talks about that as being a big proponent as well. In the case that when the first teaser trailer in November of 2014 came out and the first thing that we see was John Boyega as a black stormtrooper. While there were people praising it, there were a lot of people that did not like that. For some crazy reason, people did not want that. For reasons, I do not know why, but people did not agree with that. And it began something of, of, a, of a toxic fan base within Star Wars that just kept permeating and growing with each and every film that came out. Even with someone like Daisy Ridley, who I think was getting criticized as well, and it just was not working. And I think by the time Episode Nine came out, you could just see it in the, on the press tours and the expressions that they were just done with it. Oscar Isaac was done with it, and you, you just hate that where you do you have fun with it probably on set. You enjoy being with the people that you're doing, and it's just a job at that point. You're not really having fun with it, and the 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 experiences that can come with being a part of of Star Wars and you see stuff like Cassie and Andor come out and more people of inclusion being able to be represented within Star Wars from whether it's behind the camera or in front of the camera and someone like Pedro Pascal who is somebody of, of Latino descent who is the, the main headliner in The Mandalorian or again Cassie and Andor or we're going to get with female-led TV shows as well in the coming years. It seems like there's going to be more inclusion but unfortunately for this main cast they didn't really get that and I feel terrible 
that somebody like John Boyega, who, again, was a huge Finn. If you followed Boyega from his time when he was cast as Finn, he was a huge Star Wars fan. He said just as much. And now it's just he, he's coming out talking about this stuff. And just the journey that they went through in those five years, it, it changed them. And for better or for worse. And I think Boyega has always been a really good actor. And it seems like he's come out stronger for this and, and realized who he wants to be and, and what he wants to do and what he wants to represent. So I, I love him for that and I can't wait to see what he does next he's from the press tours I've seen he's such a great person with such great energy it's just unfortunate that you can't have that now a part of the Star Wars universe which I was really looking forward to but again they're not going to want to come back to this because they're going to what get crucified again by the fans and then not have the same experience with their characters that they might want to do so it's just it's very sad to hear this but at the same time it opens your eyes up a little bit to what really went on and and seeing what people go through that aren't you and that it's different for a lot of people and that it shouldn't really be that way that people should be able to express themselves in those kinds of ways and be able to love the characters that they're playing and love the story arcs that they're coming with and that it shouldn't just be selective to one individual person or or people and that they get the crux of what happens and then the characters are just really kind of sidelined to just being supporting characters throughout and you look at something like what happened with Finn in the episode nine and I think he had a, a much better role in that film but he was still sidelined to just being a part of the big three and you got the whole thing where, again, everyone that the Stormtrooper thing, that it happened not just to him, but to others, but they don't go full into that. And that was a huge part of the Rise of Skywalker. That was a big problem with it is they set up these things that you try to bring conclusions to by the end. It just doesn't really work out. And it sounds like maybe hopefully that Naomi Aki wants to come back. And it's from what happened in the Rise of Skywalker, the way that left off, there's potential for a spinoff, whether it's a film or a Disney Plus show. There's potential in all these places that you can have inclusivity. And I think Disney hopefully realizes that and they take and heed John Boyega's words. And I think especially when they talk about the marketing, they heed his words on that. And I get you can do misdirection in marketing. And I'm somebody who doesn't mind a lot of misdirection in the marketing. And even when it happened in Rogue One or when it happened with Infinity War and even with Endgame a little bit, it's fine to have a little bit of misdirection here and there. And it didn't really bother me until reading this article, honestly, that looking through his lenses and seeing that, you know what? Yeah, that would bother me where in the end, I'm not really the person that people are seeing on that poster that's not the character that i really get to play so again from if i were to see through his lenses and if i were to be in his shoes i could understand that and i know again i i feel bad that really what we all knew probably that there was a lot of sourness left in star wars from this cast from this cast and we're seeing it all kind of come to a head in, in this light so a lot of it's coming to realization and it's just it's just sad and you know maybe one day boyega there he's able to to come back and he says let's try to do this again but i think daisy ridley adam driver john boyega oscar isaac they really just want to do their own things do their own movies show that you know that a franchise doesn't make them that it's them that makes the franchise and that they can stand alone on their own which a lot of actors who start out in franchises want to do they don't want to be typecasted and i think that's what they want to do right now and i'm excited 
excited to see what they do in the future. And I hope everyone reads this article and, and people that are fans of Star Wars read it and kind of see what needs to be fixed a little bit, both from Lucasfilm perspective and Disney's perspective, but also the fandom ex- uh, perspective as well in that it's, you know, you don't have entitlement to a franchise. You don't, it doesn't belong to you. You have the honor and the gratification of, of experiencing what people are making. And I think for fans, they always think that it belongs to them where it doesn't, that they are they are the supporters. And uh, creators want to abide to the fan base. They want to make the fan base happy. But it's not always about, well, if I say this goes or if I don't like this, then why are they keeping on doing it? They got to appeal to so many different people and bring fans in. You don't just want it to be kind of a... a, a, a fraternity or a a a a cult really of a fandom you want to bring more people in and that's how you expand it and that's how more money comes in and that's how these franchises come about and more sequels and more spin-offs if you get more people to come into it that's what you're able to do that's how these franchises are able to expand really and marvel has done it really really well and i hope Lucasfilm and Star Wars do the exact same thing and can really kind of open the floodgates of what can be possible because Marvel has shown it with Black Panther and I hope that is the case for Star Wars down the line. So I hope people listen, not really listen, but read this article and kind of take it all in and really look back on what happened in the sequel trilogy, what can be learned and what can be done in the future. And if you have read the article, what did you think about John Boyega's comments about Star Wars? Let me know and leave your thoughts in the comment section below. And the last thing that I do want to talk about is the MCU and some new details that have come out from Kevin Feige and the creators of Black Widow and Eternals, which are the two feature films in the brand new phase four of the MCU after Endgame, which had been pushed back, Black Widow to November 6th of this year, and Eternals, which is supposed to set on Black Widow's release date as of right now, has been pushed to February 12th, I believe, of 2021. And in what was a cover article, cover piece at The Hollywood Reporter, Chloe Zhao, who talks about her experience directing Nomadland, which seems like it's going to be a major contender during this year's award season with Frances McDermott, also has a major film with The Eternals coming out. And in this Hollywood article, she talks about the... Eternals and having basically carte blanche for doing what she wanted to do with her directing methods and which if you read the article it's really interesting for how she makes her movies especially with Nomadland and how she applied that to Eternals I thought was really interesting but again kind of going back to that John Boyega article in which I talked about how the MCU is kind of really doing well with a diversity the, the diversity segment of these fa- of these franchises that Star Wars needs to really kind of look at itself and and expand on this. The MCU is kind of progressing forward with this now, and you're seeing it in Shang-Chi, you're seeing it with Captain Marvel, you're seeing it with Black Panther, and Black Panther really opened the floodgates for that and being the first predominantly black cast to be featured in a major comic book film on the level that Black Panther was with the MCU being, as of now, the biggest franchise in Hollywood. And... 
Chloe Zhao is directing what could potentially be the biggest thing, biggest project to come since Black Panther in terms of evolving that that exclusivity and inclusionness. And really, when you look at the cast, you look at Angelina Jolie, Brian Tyree Henry, Kumail Nanjiani. You're going to have an LGBTQ couple in the Eternals. You're really kind of adding in all these additional elements, all these other bases of people that can go and watch these films and see themselves represented on a franchise of this level. And she talks about this diversity in the article saying, I wanted it to reflect the world we live in, but also I wanted to put a cast together that feels like a group of misfits. I don't want the jocks. I want to walk away at the end of the movie, not thinking this person is his ethnicity. That person is that nationality. No, I want you to walk away thinking that's a family. You don't think about that, what what they represent, excuse me. You see them as individuals. And Kumail Nanjiani talks about it in the Hollywood Reporter article as well, that when he stepped on set and he saw a lot of brown people, a lot of people of of his nationality in one whole film, in one whole sequence, he felt comfortable in that setting and being and knew what he was a, a part of. And for Chloe Zhao to really kind of talk about it and say, we want this to be a melting plot pot of one big family, I think that's exactly the way to go with Eternals, which is why it could very well be that next big step for what blockbuster Hollywood can do of being inclusive in their world. And she's not just bringing that, but she's bringing her great skills as somebody of Asian American descent who, if you read that Hollywood Reporter article, which I highly recommend, they talk about her past and kind of growing up in New York and then going to LA and kind of going from project to project and then going to NYU for school and graduating there and really just kind of starting out as somebody who also worked with non-actors in her first few films like The Rider and in Nomadland where only Frances McDermott is her major star. Everybody else is really somebody who is a real life nomad and doesn't have any acting experience whatsoever. So she has a method to her madness and she exactly said that the way that she has shot those other films is how she did Eternals and Kevin Feige okayed that and that's the great thing about Marvel and this is what she had to say about that I shot exactly the way I wanted to shoot on location a lot of magic hour 360 degrees on the same camera as I did on Nomadland same rigs it's a bit surreal I'm still waiting for the shoe to drop it hasn't I think I got lucky in that Marvel wants to take risks and do something different and again going back to what to, to Kevin Feige and the people over at Marvel I think they know the 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 critics and the kind of what they can be doing going forward and that there's been a lot of criticism is the word of of what they could be doing in terms of inclusion moving forward it doesn't just have to be predominantly white men and some women as well that you need to include strong leading women and people of color and different nationalities and ethnicities moving forward and i think really one of the great things about kind of what Black Panther did. And again, when we talk about Chadwick Boseman and what he represented and still represents, even in a kind of, in thinking about him in past tense, what he was able to do with T'Challa and that whole cast and crew of creating a world where people, people of color can see themselves in that role and say, I want to be like that, or I see myself in that role. And that is exactly what they're bringing along with Marvel still keeping with their format of selecting independent filmmakers and bringing their own vision. And I'm sure they're going to really open the floodgates even more so 
moving forward where you have people like Destiny D- Daniel Creighton and you have people such as Again, Taika Waititi moving forward with with his movie. There, there's just so much to really think about with going forward of really what could happen with the MCU and also with what Kate Shortland is doing with Black Widow as well. And Scarlett Johansson in talking to the Empire Magazine about the identity of this movie and how it is really a culmination of what has moved forward in the 10 years of Black Widow being on screen. This is what she had to say about it. I think this film in particular is a very much reflective of what's going on in regards to the Time's Up movement and the hashtag MeToo movement. It would be such a miss if we didn't address that stuff, that this film didn't take that head on. I think particularly for Kate, it was so important for her to make a movie about women who are helping other women who lift other women out out of a difficult situation. Someone asked me if Natasha was a feminist. Of course she is. It's obvious. It's kind of an asinine question. And again, it's just these different identities, talking about these different topics, letting these different visions come out for these films to represent and talk about. And Marvel is really kind of taking those leaps forward that they didn't take beforehand. And again, going back to that Star Wars question, and that Star Wars and, and what Boyega wants to see Star Wars and Disney do going forward, that's the kind of stuff that he wants to see. He wants to see more people included in this and that they are not pushed to the sideline when they are marketed as being more prominent than they really are, that they are the lead characters, that they are have a main supporting role that is central to the story. And Marvel is making those leaps and he and he hopes that Star Wars does that in the future. And it seems like they're setting that up to be the case and that they can learn from their past mistakes. So I think seeing the compare and contrast from the same umbrella corporation of Disney, but the two different sub companies that are a part of it with Marvel and Star Wars, Lucasfilm, and the directions they're taking, it needs to kind of line up. And one's going the right way as of right now. And the other one was is zigzagging still, but hopefully they're able to kind of get out of that zigzag and start moving forward in the best straight line that they possibly can of what to do that is right and so i'm excited to see where these franchises move forward and for marvel there's a lot of exciting stuff that it seems like everybody wants people to see when it's safe to do so and it's it's exciting to see kind of the stuff that is happening over at marvel studios and the stuff that is happening over at Star Wars and that hopefully the ship is being written and I don't know if Disney's going to take Boyga's comments into consideration or if they have done that or not but hopefully both of these one keeps the, the line that they're going at and one starts a, a straight line moving forward so again some exciting stuff happening over at Marvel and hopefully you guys check out that John Boyga article that came out on yesterday actually on GQ Britain but guys with that being said and done that is going to do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell podcast thank you so much for tuning in be sure to check out my channel for more content you can check me out on Spotify Apple Podcast Stitcher Radio Public SoundCloud and much more also make sure to tune in onto the ambiguous podcast solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there such as you mad bro the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis 
Also check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Along the way, also check out these other great shows that are on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media when you have a second. You can find me on Twitter at Basel Samuel. That's B U S E L S A M U E L. Again, that's B U S E L S A M S A M U E L. And on Facebook at Sam Basel. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.